Thanks for joining us today on Mormon Land, where we explore the contours and complexities of news about the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I'm Managing Editor Dave Noyce. I oversee the Salt Lake Tribune's faith coverage. I'm joined by Senior Religion Reporter Peggy Fletcher-Stack. Hello again, Peggy. Hi, Dave. To begin, we remind our listeners of a new way to support Mormon Land. You can go to Patreon dot com forward slash mormonland to make a donation there you can access swag exclusive content and an insider's view to upcoming shows again that's patreon p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash mormonland you also can keep up with us via our newsletter just sign up at sltrib.com forward slash mormon hyphen land now for today's show The New York Times recently took up the topic of Latter-day Saint temple garments. The piece focused on Idaho Falls member Sasha Piton, who is urging the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints to produce softer, more comfortable, breathable garments, which the faithful wear as a private and personal reminder of their religious commitments. Piton, who posts on Instagram under the moniker The Mormon Hippie, had shared her concerns about the holy underwear with her more than 25,000 followers. It apparently resonated in Latter-day Saint circles, drawing thousands of comments and private messages. It is just one topic the Mormon millennial discusses, discusses on social media. She's here today via Zoom from Idaho Falls to talk about garments, the Times article, and other issues for young members of the Utah-based church. Sasha, welcome. Thank you. We're Thank glad you to so have much. you with us. Okay, Thrilled so let's, to be here. let's cut to the chase. What do you want to see a change about temple garments and why? You know, I know that the article was posted primarily about better fabric, which is true. I would love to see that change. But ultimately, what I want to see change is women's opinions and experiences to be valued more, to be taken into consideration um, for members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints to release shame and judgment around the garment. There's a lot of checking in between this faith of other members and measuring other people's righteousness. And that is what I want to see change is for people to understand and recognize that it is a personal decision between you and God, and you don't need validation from your neighbors, friends, or even your bishops or your stake presidents and how you choose to wear the temple garment. And, and how and when and that kind of yeah. thing, right? Um, yeah. T- tell me a little bit about what does need to change as you see it in the fabric and those kinds of things. Well, ultimately vaginal health isn't something that's really considered when making the garment because people who wear the garment don't, not everyone who wears the garment has issues and that's great. And that's wonderful. And I love that for women that are wearing it and they're just going about their business and it's normal, but there are thousands of women who are struggling in the garment and it's causing physical issues. It's not just a, oh, I don't really want to wear it. It's like, I am on antibiotics. I have now kidney infections because of how many antibiotics I've been on. I'm becoming antibiotic resistant. Like there are these major issues that are going on and there are doctors and gynecologists that are advising women to stop wearing the particular underwear that they're wearing, which happens to be the temple garment. So I do think there needs to be things that change. Um, And I really believe the church either needs to get into the underwear industry and and hire people that are literal underwear designers and people that are fabric connoisseurs or get out. Like we either need to fully jump into this. They have over a hundred billion dollars in reserve. I don't feel bad that they would pay for this. I don't. I, they either need to get into it or, or remove themselves. And I think there's nothing wrong with saying that the church has for a few years now been pulling them, 
pulling the church out of people's individual lives. Like, you know, they started with talking about Sabbath day observance and how it's a personal thing. And then they were talking about how it's, you know, church or excuse me, home centered church supported church and how the handbook policies were changing because again, the church was taking themselves out of their daily, all of our daily decisions and lives. Even the garment questions in the temple recommend interviews changed in 2019 because again, it gave more, autonomy for the individual over their body and their garment wearing. And to be clear, it's not like garments haven't been changed through the years, you know, not that we need to give a big history, but uh, changes are frequently made, correct? Absolutely. And I think the church is doing their best. I don't think there's any, I don't think that they're going out of their way to oppress women in the garments, but I don't think they're going out of their way to have equal representation and equal understanding of the issues that garments present for women in the church. And what was the response you had from the Times article? So much positivity. I would generally say that I had 95% positivity and only a few percentage of people were kind of upset with me. Um, And some of them might've been upset and just not said it to my face, but it was incredible to watch. First of all, my platform doubled in such a small amount of time. And I don't really care about followers, but the fact that people came because they literally were messaging me, like I thought I was alone. Like I had no idea that other women struggled or I've had issues for decades. Like the messages that meant the most to me came from like this one gentleman in his seventies messaged me and said, I have been struggling for over five decades. I have tried to talk to my leaders. Everyone says it's a personal issue of mine that it doesn't really matter. I've had my garments specially made. I've, I've done all the right things and it's causing major issues. And I feel like I also have been told to just get over it. So thank you for even starting this conversation. Same thing with women in their sixties and seventies messaging me you know, just saying I'm in tears because I, I thought I was alone and I've been struggling for decades. So, so you did hear from men. Cause that was going to be one of my questions exactly, because I, I'm, I'm sure some male Latter-day Saints probably have issues with the garments. They, they quote have to wear. Of course. Yes. And I, my platform tends to have more women on it just because of I'm sure the algorithm and the fact that I am a woman, but yeah, I did have people message me. I had women message me, like giving me messages from their husbands. I had men messaging me on Facebook and Instagram. Like I definitely had a lot of men message me as well. So were you okay with how the times handled the topic? Absolutely. The reporter Ruth did a phenomenal job being really respectful in her approach. When we initially spoke, she, cause I didn't know she was real when she first reached out to me. I was like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, sure, sure, sure. New York times. And then as we were talking, I was like, Oh, Oh my gosh, this is, this is real. And it was so beautiful because I thought that she, she really cared more about the idea that I was creating a space for women to advocate for themselves. Do I want the fabric to change? Yeah, sure. Do I see that happening in the next few years? No, I don't. But what can change tomorrow is women feeling more comfortable advocating for their needs, their wants, expressing their emotions, being able to get help, releasing fear. That can change right now. And Ruth approached it with such respect when she spoke with me and with the other women that she reached out to. You know, she's a religion writer, right? Yes. And that's the thing that makes me laugh when people were like, oh, you know, I can't believe the New York Times is covering something so like ridiculous when there's like, you know, world hunger. And I'm like, this is the religious section of the New York Times. What the hell do you want them to cover? Like, I'm sorry, they're not going to cover war right now. Like this is one of the religions of the world. And this is something that's happening in our religion and in our culture. 
And so, yeah, I thought she did a phenomenal job. And I think she does that with, I'm sure, every religion and topic that she approaches. So let's talk about you for a minute. Um, You're a convert. When did you join Mm -hmm. the church and what attracted you to it? Um, I joined the church back in 2009. What attracted me to the church initially was that I didn't know we were Christians. I was anti-Christian. I was very anti-Christian. I had really bad experiences with people that were hypocritical and very judgmental. And they all claimed to, you know, do it in the name of Jesus. And I was like, I don't know who Jesus is, but I'm out. I mean, I figured out who Jesus was as I got older and I knew he was a person in history, but I did not believe in his divinity. And so when I met a friend of mine in college, um, she kept saying she was LDS and I didn't know what that was. And she would say she was Mormon and I didn't know what that was. And because of that, a friendship developed because of that, we grew closer. And then after a few months, I felt like I could ask, I'm so sorry, what is LDS? Is that like a hairstyle? Is that a club? Like, what is this? <laughs> and when she told me, it didn't really register. Like I didn't really hear Jesus Christ. I was looking for LDS. So when I heard Latter-day Saint, I was like, oh, okay. And then it was another like few months later that she made a comment because I, I spouted off something like, ugh, Church of Christ, ugh, like something that I was in a parking lot. And she was like, you know, I'm Christian, right? And I'm like, I did not. Um, so anyway, what attracted me was meeting someone that was a Christian, but she had developed an organic friendship with me without judgment, without trying to change me without, you know, it was just something that I could be my full self in. And I really admired that about her. And then I was really impressed when I realized that she was Christian, that it was, she was Christian and her life choices depended upon her faith. Like she didn't drink alcohol. She didn't judge me. She, you know, didn't watch specific movies. And I was really like kind of thrown off by that. But what I loved, I was, I was like, wow, like this is really impressive that she's making those choices for herself, but she's not expecting me to make those choices as well. And I felt like she was a really great example of someone that was living her faith without being hypocritical and judging others. And so, yeah, the more I, I mean, I didn't investigate the church with the intent to join of like, I really want to know what my life could be. Like, no, I investigated (laughs) the church by accident. Like I grew up with a best friend that was Buddhist and a best friend that was Jewish. I had gotten to know their faith practices. I had joined them for holidays. I had joined to go to the stupa with my friends. And so I had explored their faith practices, their religions, but I didn't, I didn't ever like join or do anything. And so my mom at one point was like, you know, cause I don't know. I, I feel like my mom was kind of making fun of me because I was not even looking into this faith or like respecting it. I was like, no, 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 it's her own thing. And she's like, you've, you've literally done this with your other friends. Like, I feel like it's open-minded of you to also consider learning more about this particular person. Um, and so the more I learned about it, like I said, it wasn't with the intention of joining. It was just the intention of getting to know this person. And then I, over time was like, huh, I feel like I like this. So the things that stood out to me, let me just say of why I chose to join the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Number one, Joseph Smith saw two beings. I had never felt like God Jesus and the Holy Ghost were one being. Everything I had heard in other Christian religions said that they were one. I disagreed with that. When I heard that Joseph saw two beings, it opened a space to say, there are religions that believe in God and don't believe Jesus. And this makes room for them. The fact that we believe that there's truth all over the world made me so happy because I do believe that people have truth and they live it the best of their ability. And then that um, I am made in the image of God and my image is feminine and I am made in a, an image of a divine woman. So we believe in a heavenly mother. So where was that? Where, I mean, where'd you grow up? Where, where'd you go to college? 
I went, I grew up in a small town called Sedona in Arizona, and it was a very hippie town, very like grew up with Buddhists and Catholics and Jewish friends and, you know, crystals and chakras and all of these things and, um, never really fully dove into any of that. But then I went to school at the university of Arizona. I went to college in Tucson and that's where I met my friend. So what'd your family think when you joined the church? You know, it wasn't their favorite. I had kind of grown up. <laughs> I had kind of grown up with them being like, yeah, pick whatever you want. Like when you get older. And then when I picked this one, they're like, Ooh, is that, is that really the one you want to pick? For many people in my life, my family and my friends included, they felt like I was putting myself into a box. I'm a very free spirit. And they felt like they couldn't see me belonging to an organization that judged many people. And what I understand now is that they had a lot of cultural experiences with the Latter-day Saint faith and the members. And I was coming at it from a completely doctrine-based place. So because I didn't know the crappy culture that exists in the LDS church and hadn't had experiences. I learned about the doctrine. I learned about, you know, the scriptures. I learned about Jesus Christ. And I was able to make my own relationship with these things without the influences of all these other people of teaching of tradition of whatever. And so for me, this felt like such a blessing and such a space to step into that allowed for so much. But now I recognize people in my life had had bad experiences. So it wasn't their favorite. But you served a mission. How was that? Uh, really hard. Uh, my family and I have a really great relationship now, but it was really challenging at the beginning. They came to my baptism. It was not a happy day for them. It was a very hard day for them. Um, we, my relationships with them were just strained, you know, like I feel like, I mean, there was one conversation I had with my dad who is the kindest human soul and just said like, I will do everything I can to stop you from going on a mission. And I was the person that was like, dad, I love you, but you and I both know that when I put my mind to something, I do it. So like, I, I know, I know you love me, but stop. Like that's not happening. So I did, I went on a mission and it was very hard. My family did not enjoy it at all. Um, I really appreciate how the church has shifted how missionaries can speak to their family because that caused a lot of damage in my family. Now missionaries can call home once a week. Um, I'll be honest. I wish I had had that and, you know, writing letters and emailing them and they just, I was speaking a foreign language they didn't understand. And so for them, it was very challenging to see their daughter and their sister join a church. That's all about family, but I couldn't talk to mine for 19 months. So it sounds like, you, you had a little culture shock, though, at some point with oh, yeah. Mormon culture uh, outside of the teachings and the doctrines and the theology, right? Yeah. Could you explain a little bit about that? Yeah. You know, when I joined the church and especially when I got my mission called to Salt Lake City, I was thrilled because I was like, yes, because there were so many cultural things at the time that I loved. Like I loved that, like people had families and they wanted to like invite friends to activities and we did things together and we did game nights, like all these other things that were a part of the culture of the church. Um, people helping each other move, people bringing meals into new moms. Like I was really amazed by all of that. And so when I got my call to Salt Lake City, I was like, yes, like send me to the Mormon Mecca. I want to be as Mormony as possible. Like if I'm not Mormony enough now, give me 19 months, honey, I will come back. I will know how to bouffant my hair. Um, and then when I got there, I learned a lot of the negative cultural things. Like I remember my first few weeks in the mission, somebody said, oh yeah, we work with less actives. And I was like, I'm so, with what? And she was like, less actives. And I remember going like, that's a really weird way to label a human being. Why, why are we labeling human beings like that? That was a side of the culture I had never understood. 
looking back, I recognized there were women that I was a visiting teacher to that perhaps did not go to church, but I didn't call them less active. I just said, I honor your journey. I'm literally here to be your friend. Do you want to go get a coffee sometime? And we did. And I didn't get coffee. I got whatever I needed, but that didn't change that I wanted to be their friend because I, in my mind, that's what a disciple of Christ was. So when I came to Salt Lake City and they're talking about less actives and people are really anti-Mormon and, you know, there's all of this other stuff and missionary farewells and it's a competition and, you know, people are judging each other in their garments. And I, I, it was just like, whoa, what? Like even, even the fact that like I was a missionary and the joke in our mission was like every member a mission president, because in Salt Lake City, we had so many mission presidents. So there would be people that would like flag us down like sisters, sisters. And we'd like ride our bikes over there and we go over there. I'm like, yeah, what's up brother? And he was like, is it P-Day? Like, no, it's not. Actually, PD is on Monday. Today's Wednesday. He's like, well, I want to know why you ladies are in sweatpants because in my mission, we did not allow. And I said, brother, I'm going to stop you right there. Uh, the widow down the street needed her lawn raked. So since you weren't doing it, we went ahead and did it for you because, <laughs> and I'm not going to do it in a skirt. So if you have an issue, you can call the stake or excuse me, the mission office. I'm sure you can find the number on Google, or maybe you have some connections like <laughs> things like that would happen in Salt Lake city or members would offer missionaries soda and then call the mission office because it had caffeine in it. Like that kind of crap of like, Oh my gosh, get out of here with your, with your judginess. Like I don't, I'm not a fan. So why did you choose the, uh, kind of handle the Mormon hippie. The term sort of predates you. <laughs> Thank you. I, that's a compliment. Um, because I've learned to realize that these, I went through a major healing shift in my life in 2017. I was in a pretty toxic codependent friendship that it took me four years, four, excuse me, almost five years living in it to finally make healthy choices for my mind, body, and spirit and to get out of it. And this is someone that was in the church that I knew for my mission. So there's all this church stuff tied with it. And so when I made the shift and chose to leave this friendship and to, you know, fix some of my unhealthy mental habits and things like that, it started, I started being able to see the difference between doctrine and culture and ways in which I myself had fallen into the culture, ways in which I, like there was a reason I got into this codependent friendship. And a lot of it had to do with how I viewed myself. And so it gave me a chance to really reflect like the doctrine I know is that I am a divine child of divine beings. Do I believe that? Because why am I treating myself and why am I allowing this other person to treat me a certain way? So because of that shift, I went ahead and went through a lot of healing. And I know that in the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, we talk about the atonement, we talk about forgiveness, but that's where it ends. There's no real conversation around emotional health, physical health, spiritual health. What does that look like to be aligned in those areas? And so I found myself exploring ways to heal that I grew up with, looking at chakras, looking at my um, energy centers, understanding a meditation practice, finding stillness, connecting with divinity. And yes, I use the scriptures and prayer, but what does that mean to me? So because of that healing and because of all of that, I kind of joked and recognized like, oh, I'm a big hippie. Like I'm, I love crystals. I love, you know, <laughs> essential oils. I love all these things that like turns out other people also love, but don't talk about 
And so there's almost this like, you know, underground hippie, you know, network in the Mormon world that I'm like, oh my gosh, why are we pretending like this isn't real? Like this is true stuff. Like we believe there's truth all over the world. We, the scriptures even say meditation, like let's talk about what these things really mean to us in our daily lives. And so I had had these thoughts to share how to step into a space of healing. Cause I'm still in progress. I am not healed. I'm not like this. I would be translated. I'm still in progress. I'm still checking myself and stepping into those cultural narratives that are really damaging to humans. And so I start, I sought out to create a space on the internet to say, how can I talk about these things more fully to remind myself and maybe to benefit other people? I wasn't expecting it to expand and explode as quickly as it did, but I felt like I wanted to talk about all of these things that like, it kind of makes me sad that talking about healing and individual connection with God is considered being a hippie because in my mind, that's just like what a disciple is. But like, I guess because I love think about free love and I talk about plants and I talk about, you know, healing your hormones and looking at yourself, you know, as a whole being apparently is a holistic hippie thing. But <laughs> when did you start your, um, your Instagram account as Mormon this hippie? year? Just this yeah, year. this year. Yeah. I changed my name like January 2nd. I had prayed and fasted about it and talked to friends for months before, because I was like, I, I was worried about how people would perceive me because of the word Mormon, because, you know, president Nelson, the prophet has asked us to go by the full name of the church. And I just felt like the Latter-day Saint hippie didn't have a ring to it. Like <laughs> no. it just, we feel your me, pain on that. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And so it just, it was that moment of like, Oh, how am I going to be perceived? And so I, it took me a few months to, to trust that this was inspired and to trust that I was going about my life with, according to my choices. And I needed to embrace that people would like me and some people wouldn't. And I needed to be prepared to to not care. And so I decided to change my name this year in January. And then I started talking about church culture in March. So what are some of the other issues um, you've written about as a millennial Mormon? Um, our relationship with Heavenly Mother, with our Divine Mother, that's been a big one that has been really eye-opening to see so many people, not even just women, but people aching for that relationship and feeling as though the church has kept them from her. Um, I do not believe at all in the slightest that she is too sacred to talk about because last time I checked, God and Jesus are pretty sacred and we talk about them all the time. We feel comfortable talking about them because they're part of everyday conversation generally. Um, but even in the scriptures, like we only hear from God, the father, a handful of times. It's not like we know much about heavenly father, but we act like we do. And so what I feel is that heavenly mother has been silenced by mankind. I think it's just one more woman and divine woman's voice who's been silenced. And so I speak about her often on my social media. And now of course the the church has sort of greenlighted that conversation officially oh, totally. you know, yeah. to, to, to open that conversation. Touch a cup, a cup, upon a couple of other cultural uh, points. Wearing pants to church. Oh, um, yeah. Remember there was a big uh, uh, four or five years ago, uh, uh, wear pants to church day, and it's been repeated a couple of times. Well, what are your thoughts on that? You know, I don't remember that because that wasn't on my radar back then to be honest with you. Mm -hmm. That was not something that I thought about or cared about. I, it never occurred to me. I felt comfortable in skirts and dresses. And especially as someone that never really had a chance or an experience or a reason to dress up, it was always nice to have a day that was where I could dress up. Um, now fast forward to 
this year and 2020 and church like not being in session because of COVID and really for me understanding what it felt like to be comfortable in my spiritual practice and healing to me pants don't I don't I don't I can't believe this is an issue is honestly how I feel about it like we are taught about going to church in our Sunday best who decided that Sunday best was a skirt and a dress for women men so why are we still struggling like when I, I wear pants to church on Sunday and I posted it because it was this really cute jumper and people often like ask me like how do you feel comfortable in pants at church and it's not haters that are asking me it's other women going I kind of want to but oh my gosh I'm so scared I'm like you're scared to individually wrap your each leg as opposed to having them collectively wrapped <laughs> like do you hear how ridiculous that is where would you want to church and so many women wrote back like oh my gosh yes for years I've been wearing pants because I'm in primary and I'm on the ground with these little kids and it just makes it so much easier to work with little kids when I'm wearing pants and I've been judged for it. And I'm like, ew, gross. Like, what are we doing? And so that to me, yes, it's a conversation, but in my mind, I'm like, does it have to be a full-fledged conversation? Can we just as individuals make a decision on what we feel most comfortable with and wear it to church for crying out loud? Yeah. And once again, mission guidelines have changed on that too now. So totally correct. Yeah. Praise the Lord. Because you know what? Mama was riding a bicycle in Salt Lake city with my damn garments <laughs> hanging out every 20 seconds. And I had somebody <laughs> message me or come up to us one time and was like, Oh, I didn't, I've been wondering, do you all wear the like biker shorts? And I was like, many of us do wear the biker shorts. Like somebody didn't know. I mean, there's plenty of non-members in Salt Lake City, but I was like, this would have been so much better if I had got to wear pants. <laughs> so what about multiple piercings or tattoos? Oh yeah. I think that that is a conversation that needs to be had. Cause again, I mean, I got my second ears, a second hole in my ear ears for my birthday. And people ask me like, how did you do that? Like, did you not think of, you know, President Hinckley? And I'm like, no, like <laughs> Gordon is a great human and I would have sustained him and I've been a member back then. But like, I don't think about men when I'm going to go make a decision for myself. Um, so second piercings to me, the reason why I think this conversation is important, people ask me a lot, like, I really want to get a second piercing, should I? And I often write back to them and say, I am not going to make a decision for you about your body. You are doing the same thing you did with President Hinckley, your bishop, your neighbors, your friends, your mom. You're just seeking validation from another human. And I do not want to give you any kind of validation because it will be very short lasting. I would invite you to reflect on why you don't trust your own decision skills. I would invite you to reflect on why you feel like you can't do something and then heal that because I trust your, your revelation for you more than I trust my opinion for you. And so for me personally, getting a second ear piercing when I got it done and people asked me like, how do you feel? I was like, first of all, I feel great. Cause I went to a specific piercing shop. I did it correctly um, with someone who was very well-trained and very kind Secondly, I think it is ridiculous that this tiny little earring right here, and I just like zoomed in on it, has hurt people's families, has caused <laughs> strained relationships. A piece of metal has caused strained relationships. When we say it like that, it sounds ridiculous, but it's true. And so the conversations I've been trying to have is like, you know, President Hinckley came out and said that in the 90s, and that's great. I personally don't feel connected to that statement that there are things that prophets say that are their opinions. And there are things that prophets say that I believe is direction from the Lord. I don't personally feel like in the nineties when AIDS was running rampant and people were dying and there was starvation and there were, you know, Holocaust happening and 
that I don't think the Lord was like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, no, 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 for sure. Those are all really important, but you know what? We've got some double piercings happening. So I'm going to address that with Gordon. So I'm going to go ahead and uh, we're going to meet together in the Holy of Holies. And this is what we're going to talk about. Like, I don't believe that. I do believe that President Hinckley is led and guided and directed by the Lord. He is an incredible man doing his best, who is very divine. And in his prayers, he was really concerned about something and he felt at peace about addressing it to the entire church. I, I honor that for him. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that I personally feel connected, that that is my way of following the prophet. And people ask me that too. Like, how can you say you follow the prophet when you get tattoos and piercings? And I'm like, first of all, interesting that the second someone finds out that I'm a convert, all of a sudden the narrative is different. Like, oh no, no. Okay. Your tattoos are some of them before you're Mormon. Okay. That's totally fine. Let's, oh, weird. <laughs> weird, weird, weird. Um, but secondly, last time I checked following the prophet for me means like partaking of the atonement of Jesus Christ, having faith and repenting and changing my view of myself and the world and, you know, catching stones that other people are throwing and listening to the prophets and their words and taking to heart what it means to love the Lord and to exemplify qualities of my heavenly parents. If following the prophet to somebody else only means not getting piercings and tattoos, I don't think I'm the one missing out. (laughs) So, Writer researcher Jana Reese found in her next Mormon survey that millennials, especially millennials, uh, and you touched on this a little bit, uh, drink coffee, many of them, which would violate the face word of wisdom health code. Um, yet they're still active in church. They're still uh, using that term active. Uh, go, go, go to church. They do all that. What, what are your feelings about that? You talked about going with a friend to, to have coffee, oh, yeah. you know, to, mm-hmm. to have coffee. You wouldn't have it. You sit yourself. So what are your feelings about, about that? There, there's My quite a bit of talk about this in the church right now. So interesting. Um, <laughs> my instinct is to say of all the surveys we could send out into the world for Latter-day Saints to take about maybe their spiritual health, their spiritual practice, their connection to divinity, we're sending out a survey about coffee. So that's my first instinct is to be like, Mm -hmm. wow, we really need to reevaluate our priorities. And I'm not saying that that woman didn't do a fabulous job. I'm glad she's doing research, but that's my personal opinion. Um, The second thing is the word of wisdom to me is a commandment designed around helping people of the Latter-day Saint faith who follow it, understand that your body is a tool that can connect you to divinity. Our body is divine and we can be more spiritual beings if we are more mindful what we put in our body. That to me is what that commandment means. I do believe that people have the right and the ability and a complete awareness and receiving revelation that they can make choices about their body to connect them to God that falls in line or out of line with the word of wisdom. So do I think someone can be just as spiritual drinking coffee in the Latter-day Saint faith as someone who doesn't drink coffee? Absolutely. I think it's a personal choice. I think we need to, again, release shame and judgment around how people practice their religion and their faith. So you wrote, you had a post on Instagram about, um, uh, a called Good Mormon Checklist and why mm-hmm. you were sort of letting go of that. What is a Good Mormon Checklist and why why don't you want to do it? You know, when I joined the church, I had so, I had really disappointed my core family, like my family that I came from. And because of that, I could not handle disappointment in another world of mine, which was the church. 
And so I spent a lot of time hustling to just be a really good Mormon. Like, yes, I had found a connection with God. Yes, I knew I was made in the image of a divine mother. Yes, like Joseph Smith saw two beings, all these things that meant so much to me. That's great. But at the end of the day, I was a human and still am a human. And so I also wanted to belong. I wanted to make sure that I was accepted. And as someone that was tattooed, that was at the time working really hard to not swear anymore. I just (laughs) wanted to be seen as good as possible, as righteous as possible. You know, that, you know, some return missionary who made a list when he was 12 about a woman he wanted to marry that I could fit in the qualities of that list. And it was completely coming from a place of people pleasing, which is not a healthy place for any person to be in. And so again, back to my shift when I started healing and doing some work for my mental, emotional, and spiritual health back in 2017, I realized like, I am hustling for acceptance. I am working hard to make sure other people accept me. And yet, because I wasn't focused on how I accept me, I got myself into this really codependent, toxic friendship that was really emotionally damaging. Like all because I didn't value my own self enough to align with what I think and feel is right and true. And so that good Mormon checklist is about how you are perceived. It is about, you know, and I still think, people do it even if they're not living in the faith or, or practicing certain things within the faith. Like I think about there, I know people that go to job interviews wearing shorts under pants. So the employer will think that they're LDS. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's how you are perceived is what I mean by the good Mormon checklist, like reading my scriptures every day, going to the temple weekly. And I did those things because I feared what would happen if I didn't do them. I was really just in a codependent relationship with God. I was trying to earn God's love. And that's not a true gospel principle. God loves me because I exist. I have the ability to receive blessings from doing certain things. I have the ability to understand myself better, to understand God better by reading certain things, but I don't have to do them to earn God's love. And so that's the checklist that I released of like, you know, I used to like go to the temple weekly because I, again, I would fear what would happen if I didn't. And I'm like, last time I checked, that is not a great mental space to be in. And in fact, that's like Satan's plan. That's like when people have no choice, when people are just righteous and everyone comes back and does it the way, you know, that, Satan was going to make sure everyone did it. And Jesus was like, no, 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 no. Let's give them agency. I got it. I'll atone for their sins. So it kills me that Latter-day Saints are living a lot of Satan's plan without realizing it when they expect everyone around them to do the exact same and sacrifice the same and have the same outlook and feel the same about the you know practices within the religion. And so for me, I released that and I focus more on my intentions, my healing, love, understanding God, embodying qualities of God, my meditation practice, finding, seeking revelation. And I still read my scriptures quite frequently. And I still, actually not this year as much because I don't love the doctrine and covenants, but, um, but I feel like I still read spiritual books. I feel like I am someone that prays often. I feel like I am constantly trying to serve others. I'm still doing those things that are important, but I'm not doing them from a fear-based place anymore. So what do you think about feminism in the church? Um, I believe that I am a feminist because I understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. So because this church is not immune to patriarchy, and I don't mean patriarchy in the way, like what's really challenging, I will say with feminism in this church is that we have words like a patriarch. A patriarch is someone that is given a specific blessing. They're ordained into this office where they give patriarchal blessings to individuals. That's a really beautiful thing. So when someone says patriarchy, people want to defend the patriarchs. And I'm like, okay, calm down. 
Like, I don't think president Nelson is like a patriarch, like someone that's like all about the patriarchy of like, this is, I just want to keep people submissive. No, no, no. But we are a church and a culture in the Western civilization. And so women have, you know, been given the right to vote only in the last 100 years. And black women have only been given the right to vote since 1960. Oh, I'm going blank on the exact year, 64, 67. Like that is insane. In my mother's lifetime, black women have just now been able to vote in this lifetime. There are women who voted in this last election and it was the first time voting in their entire lives because when they you know, could have voted at 18, they were not legally allowed to. Like that blows me away. And so of course we're gonna have issues where women are unequal. And so I think it's important that we talk about it, that we embrace it because the doctrine, women are equal, women are divine, women are incredible. And I felt that, that's another reason I joined the church. I thought for me, one of the best acts of feminism I could do at the time when I was 20 years old was to step into the role of my divinity and to become a member of this church that taught me what a goddess I am. That felt really right for me. But as part of that, my role as someone that is a disciple of Jesus Christ that understands my divine role as a woman is now turning back and helping others understand their divinity. And I don't think that's just for women in the church, but I think for women in the church, sometimes to do that, to understand your divinity, you have to let go of cultural norms and tradition. Like the church had to make an announcement in the nineties that women could pray in meetings, like in general conference, like, ew, are you kidding? Like more than half the church is a woman is, is women. And yet we have general conferences where there's two women speakers you know, and like 40 male speakers. I don't really know how many, let's say 20, but 20 to two is not an appropriate ratio. Like I just, I knew I dated a guy once that I, we no longer dated because his dad and him were the kind of men that like when a woman spoke in general conference, it was their break to get a snack or a drink. (laughs) I'm out. (laughs) Oh, one last question. I noticed several um, posts in which you, uh, you talk about God being sarcastic. Mm-hmm. Why, why sarcasm? Sarcasm is something that I love and use. And my goal with the space that I've created on the internet is not, is to release shame. And I want people who were just like me five years ago that carried judgment and shame and projected it onto others to also feel welcome there to hopefully shift their perspectives a little bit. And so I use humor as a way, because I don't want to shame the people that are shaming everyone. That doesn't work. I'm trying to release that. I don't want to sit there and just be like, you guys are all idiots that are shaming people. And you're saying this like, no, I don't want to, that wouldn't have worked on me five years ago. So why would I think it would work now? So I use humor as a way to help people realize that they can expand their awareness, that they can maybe open their heart a little bit more to people and how they really are and why we're judging people. Like the word of wisdom, for example, when I did the God being sarcastic and I was like, oh my gosh, they're not getting that their body is a tool. Okay, let's make that, let's make that word of wisdom a revelation. Oh, they want clarification on hot drinks. Like, I don't know what's hot down there. I don't even drink anymore. Like I don't drink anything as a God. I don't drink anything. What's hot? Oh, coffee and tea. Go ahead. Use that one to give the, to give people an idea of like, oh yeah, like God is an all powerful being. Like, is it really about coffee and tea for me and my journey and my spiritual practice? Is that really what I'm focusing on? Because if I'm giving all of my energy to that, what, where is my energy in terms of like how I feel in relation to them? Do I feel like I really am a divine child? Do I feel like I can rely on my divine parents? Do I feel like I know who heavenly mother is? Like, those are important things that I think we should be thinking about as humans. 
you know, same thing with the whole like Gordon B. Hinckley, like God's talking about like, oh no, I know we have AIDS and starvation for sure, but I got to go down. We got to address double piercings because it's a big deal. <laughs> you know, like I just, for me, I'm using humor to help people go, oh, oh yeah. Like even just today I did one. It wasn't God being sarcastic, but it was like most common questions I could ask. And it was like, you know, are you, um, how often do you wear your garments? I feel like influencers on Instagram never wear them. And my answer to that question was, are you aware that asking strangers about their underwear is considered sexual harassment? <laughs> like, why do you feel so comfortable asking a stranger about their underwear? What does that do for you? Why do you do that in other circles as well? And we don't, and because it would be weird and it would be sexual harassment, but somehow that is very normalized amongst Latter-day Saints. So I'm just using humor as a way to point out to people like, all right, I know, you get a little on Moses. See, you're focusing on a lot of little things. Let's go ahead and expand and think bigger. <laughs> well, Sasha Pital, we say this without any sarcasm. Uh, th <laughs> thanks for joining us today. Absolutely. Thank we you for having appreciate me. Appreciate it. Be well, stay safe. Okay. Thank you. And thanks to Peggy Fletcher Stack. Always a pleasure. And to our producer, Chris Samuels. As a reminder, you can support us with a donation at patreon.com forward slash Mormonland. And as always, you can keep up on all the happenings in and about the church by subscribing to the Solid Tribune's free Mormonland newsletter. Just go to sltrib.com forward slash Mormon hyphen land to sign up. And we'll talk again next time on Mormonland. <laughs>